Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. And we're going to start a new religion, Steve being God, and we're all going to worship him. How many of you would do that? Good. That's a, that's a good answer. None of you would do that. How many of you would say that after I died, that I rose from the dead when I really didn't? How many of you would do that? And again, none of you would do that. You know, I can, I can see that. that. You know what that makes me? It makes me a better moral teacher than Jesus. Because that's what they're saying his apostles did that they went out and lied about the whole story of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And that's just flat out unbelief on their part. Atheists can, can be so dumb. They could be so dumb, you know. Heard a, heard a story about an uncle who goes to his nephew's house and he has a bunch of kittens. His cat had had kittens. And so he goes to look at the kittens and he goes, you know, Uncle Joe, would you like a kitten? And he goes, well, sure, what kind of kittens are they? And he goes, well, you know, they're atheist kittens. And he goes, they're atheist kittens? Okay, well, you know, you want me to take them? Well, they're not ready yet. And so Uncle Joe comes back weeks later and he come, comes into the house and, and, the, and his little nephew comes up and says, Uncle Joe, you want your kitten? And he, he goes, okay. And he comes into the room and the kid goes, these are Christian kittens. And Uncle Joe goes, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I came in here and you said they were atheist kittens. And now you're saying that they're Christian kittens. What's the difference? He goes, well, back then their eyes were closed. Now they're open. You know, skepticism, you know, I, I get this stuff. Thomas is around guys who have been impacted by something. He just doesn't know what it is. And Thomas is the ultimate skeptic. Like I said before, he gets a bad rap. He has doubts. He's not faithless. There's nothing wrong with having doubts about something. If when you're presented the evidence that you go with what the evidence says. If you have doubts about something and you're presented with compelling evidence and you ignore it, you're a Democrat. I'm just joking. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> you are not somebody who has doubts. You're somebody who is walking in unbelief. There's a difference between skepticism and unbelief. I've been scammed in my life, and so I'm a skeptic about a lot of stuff. When somebody comes up and tells me about a deal that they've got for me, and they start talking 50 miles an hour, um, I kind of step back, if not physically, in my mind, I step back and go, what's this dude want? And I have that, that kind of attitude. So I get skepticism. But again, there's a difference between skepticism and unbelief. Unbelief won't believe. A skeptic can't believe. Unbelief is stubbornness. Skepticism is honesty. Unbelief is content with darkness. 
a skeptic is looking for light. Somebody who's in unbelief has no intention of changing while a skeptic will change when he's told the facts. So there's nothing wrong with being a skeptic and that's the situation that you have Thomas in, in this passage. Jesus, when he was talking about eternal life, he, he does the whole thing with John three sixteen, and you know, for God so loved the world, you know the verse, right? Um, and then he goes into verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then Jesus says this, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. That's the difference between unbelief and being a skeptic. You might be a skeptic thinking, I don't know if Jesus is the real guy. I don't know if he'll, if he'll actually forgive me for my sins. I don't know if this will work for me. It's worked for everybody else, but I don't know if it's gonna work for me. That whole thing, that's skepticism. But when you look at Jesus and you go, no, I don't wanna have anything to do with this. And specifically, a lot of times people are looking at Jesus and they realize that he's serious about a changed life. I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to become like him. I'm gonna have to turn away from my sin. And if that's the case, many times people love darkness rather than light, and so they turn away from the Lord. You know, you go through the different reactions to the resurrection. Mary saw saw the stone in uh, John chapter, uh, in the previous part of John chapter 20, and she jumps to the conclusion that the soldiers took him. She doesn't investigate. She's so overwhelmed by the situation. And so what she misses is the glory and angels. She sees angels and it doesn't even phase her. She sees Jesus and she thinks that he's a gardener. And the reason is because the Bible says she was looking down instead of looking up. We are people who look up. We are people who look to the Lord. We need to be looking up even more as we see the day approaching. Jesus in Luke 21, 25 through 26 said this, there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then he says this, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So you can, you can see that the world sees something coming. I don't know anybody that's not a Christian who isn't worried about what's going on in the world right now. They think it's all unwinding. They think it's all, all beginning to fall apart. And these are things that Jesus talked about and the Bible talks about in various places, talking about tyranny being on the rise. You got tyrants, you're going to have no free speech. You've got tyrants, you're not gonna have free movement. You have tyrants, you're not going to be able to protect yourself. You have you know, there's all this stuff that goes along with a tyrannical government and the Antichrist is the premier tyrant that the world has ever seen. And so that's where the world is going. And we can see the precursors of it right now. So when you see this stuff, you don't need to you know, be constantly getting dejected about it and you know, feeling like a failure and you know, what's happening to my country. And the Bible's predicted all this stuff. What you need to do is stop looking around and start looking up because the Lord's coming. John. When he goes to the tomb, he had spiritual insight. When the Bible says that when he saw what was there, it's a different word for saw 
than the word that was used for Peter. It means he saw and understood. He looks into the tomb, he sees that it's empty, he sees and he understands at that point. And that's his reaction to the empty tomb. Peter, on the other hand, the word for saw, uh, when he came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there, that word for saw is a word theoroi, or theore. It's where we, where we get our word theory. And what it means is that he examined the grave clothes closely, but he didn't comprehend it. Now with Thomas, and Thomas is the last example in this passage, Thomas is a skeptic and the guy's just honest. And he's, it's not only in this passage that he's like that. Sometimes he's brutally honest. In John 14, 5, Jesus had talked about the fact that he was going to be leaving. And he said, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And this is what Thomas said. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going and how can we know the way? And you need to be really glad that this guy said that because what Jesus says next is, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And that was prompted by the fact that Thomas asked a question. In John eleven sixteen, Jesus tells the disciples he's going up to Jerusalem because he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And when Jesus turns and he starts walking towards Jerusalem, Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so he's kind of an Eeyore type too. We're all gonna die. You know, let's go with Jesus and die with him. You know, he's the kind of guy who would tell you your zipper's down or he would tell you if you had something hanging out of your nose. That's the kind of guy that Thomas was. In any case, Jesus wants to reach Thomas specially and specifically, just like the guys on the road to Emmaus. And again, Thomas had missed the first appearance of Jesus and now he was getting the next one. Thomas, when Jesus appears, in verse 26, it says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them, or excuse me, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. And so again, he just appears in the middle of the room and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so Thomas reached up and stuck, stuck his fingers in his, no, that's not what happened. What he said was, my Lord and my God. And he probably did it from his knees at that point. Jesus appears in the middle of the room. He says, here's my hands. Here's my side bud. Go ahead and stick your fingers in there. And Thomas just hits his knees and says, my Lord, and my God. When Thomas has questions, he gets them answered because Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, Thomas has no more questions. And that's a cool thing uh, about knowing the Lord. You know, when you're, when, you're, when you're looking at coming into a relationship with Christ and people that you're talking to will have all kinds of questions. And I don't have a problem answering people's questions. Uh, in fact, the Bible says to do that. You need to give a reason for the hope and it means a defense or the hope that lies within you and you need to do it with meekness. And so I don't have a problem answering questions, but do you remember before you got saved all the questions you had for God? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did my dog have to die? Why did my parents take my dog and give it to a farmer? 
Why, why, my, why my dad have to leave me? Why did all these things have to happen? Why has this guy got a better life than I've got? What are you doing in my life, God? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you, you know? And you know, then, there, then there's the whole world. It's like, why is the world so lousy if you're God? Why are, you know, you're supposed to be running things and things are not going well and, you know, people have all these questions. I had those questions until the day I got saved. And then I just sat there with a big old grin splitting my face. I thought my, the, the bottom half of my face was gonna fall off. And this big old grin splitting my face and no more questions, no more questions. Because I realized that I had just met the living Jesus. He had really just come inside and he had really just changed my life. He'd taken away my sins. And so from that point, I didn't have any questions. Now it's not that I didn't have any questions later on, but at that point, I realized that Jesus is absolutely real. My whole viewpoint, my whole worldview changed in less than 30 seconds. That's how long it took for me to pray and ask Christ to come into my life. Everything changed in less than 30 seconds. And from that point on, when I had questions, I realized I could find answers because of who Jesus is. You know, Jesus is God come to earth. That's why, that's why Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he's not just saying, oh my Lord, oh my God. Because if he had been doing that, what's that called? Yeah, it's blasphemy, taking God's name in vain, right? So Jesus is standing right there and Thomas goes, oh my Lord, oh my God. What's Jesus gonna do? What's wrong with you, Thomas? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's what he's gonna do. But Jesus doesn't do that. What Jesus says is, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so what, Tom, what Jesus does is he commends Thomas and lets him know that there are going to be people who don't have to see like Thomas sees and yet they believe um, and that we're going to be blessed. That's you, that's me. We've, we haven't seen Jesus face to face and yet we've believed. And Jesus says there that we're blessed. You know what blessed means in, in Greek? Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy. One more thing I, I want to do before, before, I, before I quit here um, is talk about the nails. I want you to know, notice that Jesus, when he's talking to these guys, um, or uh, when he's talking to these guys, it says in verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. When Thomas comes and questions these guys, he says, to them, unless I see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And if you look down in um, verse 27, Jesus says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Um, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so again, you have this whole thing with the nail prints and it's nails, it's not one nail. And the reason I'm, I'm showing you this is just as an aside, because there are people who say that when Jesus died, he didn't die on a cross, he died on a torture stake. And so that was one pole, Jehovah's Witnesses believe this. It was one pole and Jesus's hands were together and one nail went through his hands into the pole and one nail went through his feet into the pole, and that's how Jesus died, not on the cross. And it's because Jehovah's Witnesses don't like the cross. There are other people who are like this too, but it doesn't say the print of the nails 
or excuse me, the print of the nail, singular. It says the print of the nails in his hands. That means there's two nails. That means his hands were separated, right? And that puts Jesus on the cross. So there you have that. When you're looking at the resurrection, resurrection's important. And the resurrection's important because it's a proof of Jesus's sonship and his claims. Romans 1.4 says that he's declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So I know Jesus is the son of God because he rose from the dead. It's also a picture of our new life. In Romans 6, 1 through 5, it's talking about baptism, and it, and it talks about the fact that baptism is a representation of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So just like Jesus died and was put into the grave, you are taken and you are dipped into water. That's like dying. Just like Jesus rose from the grave, you were pulled up out of the water, otherwise you drown, and that's like, that's like the resurrection. And so it's a, um, the uh, baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and it's a picture of our new life in Christ. Our old man is dead, what we used to be is dead, and we have a new life in Jesus. And the same spirit that empowered Jesus when he was raised from the dead is the same spirit that empowers you. It talks about in Romans chapter eight. It's a proof of the fulfillment of Christ's promises. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 12 through 19, it says, it says this, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If he's not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead don't rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the passage goes on there. It's a proof, proof of fulfillment of Christ's promises. And then it's the promise of a greater harvest. It goes on and says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. You know that you're gonna rise from the dead, your body's gonna be raised from the dead because that's what happened to Jesus. And so it's a promise of a larger harvest. That resurrection's taken place when Christ comes back to take us out of here. So there's gonna be a resurrection, general resurrection of the, of the believers who have died up until this point. And then there's going to be a specific translation of you where the Bible says you're caught up with the Lord in the air and you're with him forever from that point on. And that's the resurrection of Christians. So there you have that. Okay, I said we're gonna do a, um, an afterglow. Real quick, turn over to Acts chapter one. I'm just gonna go over real quick what an afterglow is specifically about. In Acts chapter one, you remember I, I was talking about Jesus breathed on these guys and said, receive the spirit. He says in verse four, 
being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then when you get to Acts chapter two, and that's what we were doing on Sunday morning, you have the fulfillment of that where the Holy Spirit comes down on these guys and there's one specific gift that these guys are given. It's the gift of tongues. I'm not gonna go into that whole thing right now, but they were given a gift and then Peter stands up and starts preaching the gospel like he's never preached before and 3,000 people get saved. Boom. You start, with a, start out with 120 and immediately it's a mega church that quickly. And it was because of the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when you became a Christian, you might've been really excited when you first gave your life to Jesus. And you may have felt totally empowered. There are, there are times in the Bible where people give their life to Christ and the power of the Spirit comes upon them immediately. And so they, they just go out and, and it's like they hit the ground running and they're witnessing to everybody and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's a real cool thing. But most often in the book of Acts, when you have the Spirit coming upon people, it's after they already got saved. So they'll get saved. that's what happened with the apostles. They get saved, and it's about 40 days later, a little 42 days later, that the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So Jesus breathes on these guys, and 42 days later, they have the Spirit come upon them for power. You, you have the same thing with the guys in Samaria. They get saved and then it's told to the apostles that all these people have gotten saved and they've been baptized and they believe in Jesus and the apostles come up and lay hands on them because they hadn't received the power of the spirit yet. And so that's at least the time it takes to get a message down to Jerusalem and to get the apostles back up. And so you're talking about at least a week later and these guys get prayed for to receive the Spirit. And again, awesome things are happening in their lives. And that was exhibited by gifts. You have the same thing with, with some other guys, some uh, guys who had been uh, disciples of John. Uh, Paul leads them to the Lord and he baptizes them. After he baptizes them, he lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit once again. And so that's only five, 10 minutes. Well, you got a bunch of guys there, so it's probably a little bit longer for some of the guys. Um, it's only a few minutes, but it's still after they got saved. And here, here's the point that I'm making here. This is really important, you guys, because a, a lot of times Christians are going through their lives and they're living powerless lives. It's like the, you guys have read Romans 7, right? So in Romans 7, it says, all the things I don't wanna do, those are the things I do, and all the things that I wanna do, those are the things that I don't wanna do. And Paul goes through and talks a little bit more, and then he says it again. All the things I don't wanna do, those are the things I'm doing, and all the things I wanna do, I don't do. And then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he talks about, in the next chapter, the power of the Holy Spirit is the one that delivers you from that.
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.